Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Here's a quick announcement. Our July hot-scented and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones will be live on Sunday at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. This month's theme is Summer Vacation and a Mid-Year Counting Our Blessings Moments. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Peggy Lenham. Peggy is the founder of Better Working Together, a business consulting and executive coaching practice. She has a Master's of Science degree in organizational psychology and is, a, and is certified in several popular and effective assessments and is also a certified human resource professional. Peggy provides organizations with research and training to facilitate teamwork, creativity, and leadership. She helps people improve their well-being and increase their energy to navigate difficult circumstances and uncertain situations. Peggy offers a variety of options to support any business needs, from changing corporate company culture to providing leadership through executive coaching. Peggy is also the featured expert contributor for the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section of our July Inspirations for Better Living magazine. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her amazing, insightful, and empowering story. Peggy and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can use the new book, Navigating Uncertainty, an A to Z Guide for Well-Being to help you achieve clarity, peace of mind, and relaunching ourselves if necessary. Good morning, Peggy. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Hello, Johnny. I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you with me. Navigating Uncertainty is an excellent read. It offers easy-to-implement steps. And it's perfect for everyone, especially for those who are always busy with the hustle and bustle of life. So congratulations on its release. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, it was just um, so much fun to put it together. I learned so much myself. And really, my focus was to be able to distill some of these great concepts um, that are in academia, sort of in the ivory tower, and bring them down to the ground floor so that anybody can access them and just get a quick little, you know, bite-sized piece of wisdom to help mm-hmm. them with their day. Fantastic. That sounds really good. So let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walk through your life from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour here, so in case you need the whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will start by saying I had the most unusually wonderful childhood imaginable. Um, I was actually born and raised in South America. And uh, my first memories were actually from living in the Amazon basin, um, deep in the Amazon uh, rainforest. My parents Mm -hmm. uh, worked there with the Quechua tribe of people and I just that was my first language English was my second and uh, I grew up there for the first five years and then um, came back to the states for a couple years and then went back uh, attended American schools but still was in South America Um, and then eventually when I was 17 made it to the states and uh, went to college in, in the Pacific Northwest so that was Kind of my untraditional, definitely not your normal path. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you speak Portuguese? I do not speak Portuguese. How about yourself? No, but I used to live like about maybe three miles away from the one of the second 
or the third largest Portuguese settlement in the world uh, outside of uh, Portugal itself. You know, as you know, the Portuguese were the, the pioneers in actually exploring the world. And so that's how they found Brazil <laughs> going to the, I guess, west or east in this case, and then towards the west, that is, and then to the east, uh, they eventually got to Malacca, Malaysia. That's where I'm from. And so we have a huge Portuguese settlement in Malaysia, in Malacca itself. Isn't that interesting? You know, you kind of wonder if history had just a few different changes, we would all be speaking Portuguese, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's very, very interesting. The yeah. Portuguese were in Malacca, Malaysia for, I think, about 200 uh, to 250 years. And then the Dutch came afterwards. And then the English came. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? I just love the way history, when you follow mm-hmm. all the little trails of how people have made it around the, the globe. It sure is fascinating. Sure is. Yeah. Very, so. very much so. And and I think in so many ways, as you had mentioned, you grew up in Brazil, so you have sort of flavored the different things in life and uh, from a different perspective, culturally, so to speak. So having said that, who were the major influences in your life when you were growing up? Yes. Oh, just to clarify, it was not Brazil. It was actually Ecuador. I mean, not Brazil. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no worries. I do speak Spanish. That's why I don't speak Portuguese, but close, very close. Um, <laughs> my major, the people who majorly affected me were my parents because they were just, mm-hmm. they still are. They are mm-hmm. vivacious, uh, hardworking, positive, wonderful people, and they are in their mid 80s. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they are still, still a going concern, which is very, very inspirational. Um, so definitely my parents. And then I also had a really unique teacher. Um, we had a very small American school, and uh, she was actually not American. She was from New Zealand. Oh. She was a wonderful teacher, um, very, very strict, extremely high standards, and really instilled in me, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that the world is just such a bigger place than just North America and South America. But there's so many different cultures and so many different ways of looking at the world. So she actually mm-hmm. was in charge of our curriculum and she had to, we had this, these books and they were called in these United States. Well, clearly we weren't living in the United States. We were in <laughs> South America. <laughs> so she would take masking tapes and she would tape over them in those United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had a very different outlook. We learned the, uh, so much more about New Zealand that I'm sure any other child that mm-hmm. grew up in South America ever learned about New Zealand. But um, it just cer- certainly informed my worldview. Mm-hmm. And uh, so big shout out to my lovely teacher, Heather Wadsworth, <laughs> who I'm still in touch with, by the way, after all these years. Oh, wow. She's in New Zealand now. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, that's, that's really wonderful. I think, interestingly enough, what you mentioned is that those are wonderful treats that we don't realize as we grow up uh, different parts of the world. One of the major, uh, uh, the best advice I would say that I received prior to coming to the United States to go to college, um, I came to the United States when I was 18 years old. And four months after my 18th birthday, I landed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana to go to LSU. But my high school teacher He's always a really happy person. I coined him as the happy Buddha. And I told him that I had the opportunity to come to the United States, and he was really happy and so forth. And very quickly, his demeanor changed. And he mentioned to me, he said, Johnny, I'm about to tell you something that I hope you don't get upset. And he said, when you get to the United States, if you decide to live in Chinatown or with all the Malaysians, don't go. Stay home. Stay here in Malaysia. All the academic knowledge that you are seeking will eventually trickle down to all our local universities. When you get to the United States, you learn everything you can because what happens here is that we, every culture has its good, bad, and ugly. Your goal is to create a third culture and combine the best of both worlds. And that's your competitive edge. And that's what he told me. Mm, those are really wise words. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, when you live in it, you don't really think about it. But in hindsight, uh, having said that, I think it's amazing because like just uh, like your teacher, for example, the world is an oyster. I mean, she's from New Zealand and she's in South America and teaching about things. And these are the things that I think sometimes and it goes back to, you know, your life and the book that you're writing about and so forth. Uh, we do live in the Google world. But yet in the madness of Google, we're not actually living a Google experience, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes, that is true. And um, it also brings, you know, how much change has happened in the world. I think mm-hmm. with medical knowledge, it took 100 years for the amount of medical knowledge to double, like an, up until 1950. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of doubled every 10 or 12 years. And now... Medical knowledge is doubling like every 47 days. And it's not just medical knowledge. We just have, you know, everything. We have, with Google, like you mentioned, we have access to so much. <laughs> and I'm not sure that our brains are actually wired to be able to process everything that mm-hmm. we are getting, all the input. So mm-hmm. it's a beautiful time to live, and it also can sometimes be a very overwhelming time. Very interesting. So it's helpful very, very to have these. Yeah. Tell people to have you... people like this wise Buddha um, on your side. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought so. And here's someone who has never been anywhere. And uh, to share something insightful from that nature, because, of course, I mean, just think about it. Uh, when we look at ourselves, if Peggy, I mean, when we were born, oh, Peggy, this is your file. This is how you're going to live your life. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's, uh, you know, life has its own plan in a way. So when did you discover your passion about collecting information and facts of the whys of life? Mm. Um, I've always been curious, um, and I kind of thought for a while I'd be sort of like an investigative journalist. But what really intrigued me is I wanted to see what motivated people, and then help them find ways to be better. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was always curious about. And I was curious about what made people thrive, um, why some people liked their jobs, why some people were happy, why some people – I think one thing that you do learn when you live um, in an economically challenged environment is that mm-hmm. it's not necessarily money that makes people happy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many times I have been in just a very remote village that has absolutely very little materially, but they have community, they have a sense of purpose, they have, um, you know, lovely family times, and you realize that sometimes uh, what we're going after, what we think uh, makes a really abundant life isn't necessarily so. So it does mm-hmm. give you a a, water, a wider perspective growing up with that. Um, I will say that after college, I was working, and um, I loved my job. I got into law, and I kind of thought I would go into law school, so I was taking kind of a break. Um, worked for a lot of different firms, had some mentors along the way, and they Ah, oh, this one woman in particular just looked like she had it all together. She, I just sort of idolized her. You know, she was brilliant, <laughs> smart, and she had perfect nails. And she just had this perfect life, and she had these perfect weekends. And uh, I remember I was chatting with her once, and she said something that just really, you know, he, people every once in a while will say a phrase that just sticks with you. And she said, mm-hmm. I have these great weekends, but I feel like I am wishing my life away Monday through Friday. I just wish it away. And that struck me because I thought, you know, Monday through Friday, our work is such an important part of who we are and what we do. And we spend a third of our adult life working. We need to make that as meaningful as possible because life is too precious to just squander it, just living for those two days every week, right? <laughs> so true. So true. Very, very interesting. That's really amazing. And so as you experience these, as like you say, you live life and so forth, would that part of this epiphanies that led you to study organizational psychology? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I began to realize the importance of good work and how important that was to people for their well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the many things I did in the legal environment was, was to work with trusts. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we'd have these incredibly, incredibly wealthy, wealthy heirs that just inherited, you know, <laughs> so much money. They could never even spend it in their lifetime. Well, I, they, they tried. They tried. But they were very, um, very, for the most part, very empty Mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to work. Um, and they had very little motivation and they just seemed very deeply unhappy, unmotivated, and just felt, I felt like they were just kind of squandering their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that just made me realize that it's important to find work. Um, you know, work is really important uh, for who we are and for a sense of meaning and for a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. That's very, very true. You mentioned curiosity as a big thing for you. Does it really make you a better learner? Um, I would think, in my opinion, I think curiosity is kind of the root of learning. Um, because if you aren't curious and if you're just learning something because you have to learn it, I don't believe that you're going to really be able to get as good a handle on it than if you were curious about it. Um, And that's why I think like with our educational system, it would be so great to be able to reward kids um, to just pursue, pursue excellence, pursue the joy of learning rather than just a grade. Um, So yeah, I do think curiosity is really important um, in, in learning and in growing and in coaching and in relationships. It's just kind of the basic root of all of that. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So why did you decide to become an executive coach? That's a big shift between from a standpoint of being in the law industry, I guess, in this case, very absolute, so to speak. And that's a shift to, from a leadership perspective. Oh, yeah, it is a huge, huge step. Um, Well, my curiosity led me to get a degree in organizational psychology, which I totally love, because what it does is it combines um, two things that I love, and that's people. I'm definitely a people person, and it also combines data, the hard science. So I get to do the two things I love, the the squishy (laughs) people side and then the hard data side. So... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I kind of have the best of both worlds in my job. So as I, um, when I became graduated from getting my degree in org psych and uh, opened up my consulting business, I was doing a lot of consulting and really enjoyed that. But when the pandemic hit, things shifted. It was a huge shift. And people were no longer really interested in these, you know, big global mm-hmm. strategies. They just wanted their businesses to survive. They physically wanted to survive. It just was a whole different shift. So I went back and got my um, certification. I'd always done coaching, but I got my, I became ICF certified um, mm-hmm. as an executive coach because these coaches were just having these really raw fundamental issues. What kind of legacy do I want to leave? What kind of business, you know, what, where are my values? Um, what's driving me. And uh, so that's when I found that coaching became, um, you know, very, very helpful. It's always been helpful. I think coaching is the best way to parent. Um, It's the best way to do all kinds of relationships in life. So this was just kind of another step in the journey. And as you've mentioned, Johnny, uh, you know, life Mm -hmm. evolves, right? Right. You start in one direction and then you take a little dental turn and keep kind of winding your way. (laughs) Very true. So true. So how do you define an ideal working culture and how can a company achieve that? Mm. Yeah, I don't think there's one easy answer for, you know, what is an ideal working culture. I think it would have to Mm -hmm. be very specific to the type of organization. But one thing we know is we, what we really need is congruence. Um, so when your values line up with your behaviors, 
we have congruence. Um, and that's just so important to whatever area of life we're in. When our values, those things that mean the most to us, um, when we are actually able to live those out in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. good things happen. And when you see in organizations when, you know, their their mottos are, uh, you know, we live to serve or something like that, and then yes. they have terrible customer service, <laughs> you see this misalignment happen, and people right. become de-energized, um, they start getting really cynical, they, they think, you know, burnout increases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that, you know, you walk the talk. It's not right. just your right. leadership mantra, but that it's right. really the rubber meets the road on the ground floor. And I think it's really important, too, to have positive leadership. That would be the second thing. Um, mm-hmm. Positive leaders are empathetic. Um, they're honest. They're caring. They know how to develop good teams. So positive leadership is is uh, a very important part of having a you know, an ideal work culture. Mm-hmm. Um, although there, I wouldn't say that an ideal work culture is always evolving because you'd never achieve it. It's always mm-hmm. something that you are working towards. Right, right. So true. Well, I, when I was in the C-suite, my idea of it is from the perspective of, and of course, this is a big buzzword, right? Oh, we corporate family. Really? <laughs> so, oh. uh, you see, you know, are you are we corporate family from a standpoint, the spirit of the law or the letter of the law? Because it sounds great. You see, we're corporate mm-hmm. family. You see, we're all, oh, yeah, really. So that's the difference because when you apply the spirit side of the equation here and you realize that all of a sudden we are all connected the first customer is our own employees and mm. if we value customer service then they are you know the first line of customers that is from the c-suite perspective that is and then yeah. from there the ripple effect just rolls out and everybody yeah, wins uh, yeah, I'm curious, how did that phrase, you know, corporate family, how did that feel to you? Did that feel genuine? Or? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because what happens okay. is that you size it down to we are a team and you bring it mm-hmm. back to things that people can rationalize, like, a, you know, uh, people that are familiar. I mean, of course, there's all these oddballs out there and, you know, um, exception to the rules. But having said that, what are people most accustomed to? Family. Your family, Mm -hmm. my family, generational, right? Isn't it? Your family, your lineage, your husband's family, their lineage, and so forth, but family. So how do we treat family? Mm. And so now we're corporate family. Uh, that was a buzzwords for a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, even today. Well, we're corporate family. We're corporate family. Uh, is it the letter of the law? <laughs> because it sounds good. <laughs> mm-hmm. the spirit mm-hmm. of the law? You see? So when you look at the spirit of the law, then, yes, there are tough loves. And that's, those are the rules and regulations. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, I see. Right? Yeah. yeah, and then on the other hand, there are things like, you know, we want everybody to succeed, period, based within their own bubble. Right, so. right. And I think that <laughs> kind of brings, you know, another aspect to effective organizations and effective yes. teams that have Precisely. this thing called, yeah, psychological safety, which Precisely. sounds kind of crazy. It's a family safety. Find comfort it is. At home. You know that somebody has your back. Precisely, precisely, and that's what it's all about. And uh, so uh, th- th- it's just like I say, it, it's it's more from you know the, the like you say again, it's the mindset of the C-suites on how we look at things and and perceive and how do we execute the culture that we want to accomplish, so to speak. And so that pretty much what. It is. 
sense in some ways. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspiration for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com this month. Theme is summer vacation and immediate counting our blessings moments. My guest for this morning is Peggy Lenham. She is the founder of Better Working Together, a business consulting and executive coaching practice. She has a master's of science degree in organizational psychology and is certified in several popular effective assessments and is also a certified human resource professional. Peggy provides organizations with research and training to facilitate teamwork, creativity, and leadership. She helps people improve their well-being and increase their energy to navigate difficult circumstances and uncertain situations. Peggy offers a variety of options to support any business needs from changing corporate company culture to providing leadership through executive coaching. Peggy is also the featured expert contributor for the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section of our July Inspiration for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her amazing, insightful, and empowering story. We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can use a new book, Navigating Uncertainty, an A to Z guide for well-being to help us achieve clarity, peace of mind, and relaunching ourselves if necessary. Peggy, what inspired you to write Navigating Uncertainty, an A to Z guide for well-being? Well, I took a neuroscience class um, during the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was taking this four-month class, I realized there were so many wonderful tips and tricks from the fields of neuroscience, psychology, and biology that people really needed to have access to. I mean, the last few years, um, the phrase I keep hearing from people is, it's been a lot, (laughs) you know? (laughs) You know, whatever it is, the war in Ukraine, the pandemic, whatever, it's just been a lot. We've just been flooded with a lot of news, and every time we open up the paper, it seems like it's not good, right? So um, I realize that there's so many good things that we can do to put us back into the driver's seat of our lives. Um, Mm -hmm. So often what we feel is there's circumstances that are just happening, and we are just really not in control. We're kind of at the mercy of whatever else is going on in life. And what this book does is it helps bring the, the focus back on what we can control. And there's so much we can control. I mean, we can control our behaviors. We have a lot of control over our environment. We can control our breathing. And breathing is so important because it takes us from this state where we just want to be in fight or flight and react <laughs> to, a, to a place where we can be really centered um, mm-hmm. And have that moment of pause where we can choose our behavior and choose the direction we want to be in. And we can control our inner narrative, you know, um, the right. stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. We can control that. We can control our responses. And uh, we can, one thing that we can control, and you mentioned Clifton Strengths, that you're a fan, um, we can recognize our own strengths um, and create a positive narrative with ourselves, like, hey, I am really Mm -hmm. good at this. Um, So there's a lot. We can take care of ourselves. There's just so many things that we can control, things that we can do to put ourselves back into the driver's seat of our lives and move forward and choose a positive um, direction. So that's what inspired me to write the book. Very, very interesting. But uh, what I love about it is that the A to Z concept, and it's very easy to digest. And I love the topic, the various topics covered, and the nugget about the brain hacks that we could do. <laughs> and if someone who wants to dive deeper, they could go in and pull up research and so forth to really back up 
the uh, exercises from an academic standpoint of view. So I love it. So there's 26 topics, and it's not hard. There's a lot of topics. Um, so it was pretty easy to find that in our alphabet. And what I really didn't want to do, Johnny, is, yeah. um, as you know, coaching is so individual. I didn't want to yeah. come up with a formula. There's not seven right. steps. There's not four techniques. Because I don't know the reader. But what mm-hmm. the reader can do is they can open up this short book, pick a topic um, that they're interested in or they think that might be helpful, like, for instance, you know, mindfulness, page 51, mm-hmm. and you turn there, short introduction on what mindfulness is. I mean, a lot of people know about it, but they need to kind of a, a little refresher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they see kind of the neuroscience reasons behind mild mindfulness, like right. why it is important. And then there's brain hacks. There's three brain hacks there about um, using mindfulness through a body scan relaxation, taking a mindful walk in nature, and the importance of quitting multitasking you know multitasking was we used to be so proud of it now we realize it's it's not that great for us and then there's um, a dive deeper section mm-hmm. where these are the leading scientists these are the researchers in the fields that have the the research behind um, why mindfulness is so important and you can go to their websites or read their book or watch the ted talk whatever it is if you want to go deeper in that but if you just want a short nugget, you can just, you know, read the first couple paragraphs and do the first couple brain hacks, and you're well on your way to um, having some exercises that are really practical for increasing mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. Very, very true. And I agree with the fact of multitasking. Unless you are – and I'm, I personally am a multitasker, and I could speak firsthand, unless you are – one of those guys in the circus that uh, what I coined as, uh, and it's actually a profession. Uh, actually, it's a, it is a profession. One of those plate twirlers, don't multiply. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, there's some things you can multitask with if you use a different channel in your brain. Um right. For instance, if you can go on a pod, you can listen to a podcast and go for a walk. You know, that's great. You know, balancing your checkbook and trying to pay attention to super detailed fine work while you're also, Mm -hmm. you know, writing your thesis is probably not such a great idea because that's actually um, task switching. Right. When we task switch, we go back and forth and we think we're doing a lot more than we really are because we actually end up wasting time getting our, shifting our brains. (laughs) (laughs) Years. <laughs> <laughs> very, very certainly interesting. Listen, listen to Johnny's podcast while you're doing the dishes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, how's that? Let's see. It's engaging, enlightening, and uh, entertaining. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Three things at once. <laughs> yeah. And then while you're walking, too. So. <laughs> Exactly, or driving through uh, traffic, or yeah, all kinds of good things you can do. So true. So, so that true. is one of the topics. Um, but mm-hmm. I have, you know, 25 others, and they're all just uh, very practical, very pertinent, um, easy to digest things to make your life a better, a better, a better life, and a better um, way to live. Fantastic. What can you tell us about doom scrolling? I love the title. Oh, I know. Don't we all sometimes do that? I don't know if you've ever gotten on your phone and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my goodness, I have just spent the last 45 minutes just (laughs) going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. Um, I think that really people really became aware of that when the pandemic first came out and all of a sudden we all became armchair experts in mm-hmm. ep- epidemiology, right? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing about doom scrolling is, is that our brains love to predict because that's how mm-hmm. our brains keep us safe. So they just, our brains love information, and um, what they really, what our brain really likes is it likes information that's an echo chamber. So mm-hmm. if we get set on a certain idea, we love feeding that idea. It just makes us feel like we're actually doing something. Um, 
And so what we end up doing is we end up just falling down this rabbit hole. And unfortunately, because of the way um, these algorithms are set up, it just continues, it gives us a little hit of dopamine, you know, a little bit of a reward <laughs> to find a piece of information. And it just keeps, keeps us just falling down the rabbit hole slower and slower and slower until all of a sudden we're like, oh, my goodness, I have really lost a lot of time and I don't feel any better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is kind of what doom scrolling is. And most people, if they're honest, realize that they do it a lot more than is healthy. <laughs> so I think being aware of that is really important because we have, like I mentioned earlier, we have an access to so much information these days. Mm-hmm. Um, our phones are always pinging. Um, so we just never really get a break from the information overload that we're living with in our modern day. Right. So we can just waste a lot of time um, on doom scrolling. And it's, it's um, those algorithms are set up. They are not helpful for our brains. They're not helpful for our emotional and mental health. So one thing I do, Johnny, and I know this is really silly, but often when I <laughs> listen or read the news or whatever, it's it makes me sad. So, uh, and I can spend a lot more time on it than I should. So I only read the news now or watch the news if I'm standing up. Mm-hmm. And that just keeps me from being too comfortable and getting too stuck. So <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a little, there's a little of my own little personal um, tidbit for you. Mm-hmm. I like that because it's true because when you're sitting down, actually, it's interesting because there's news and there's news. So it's something that you want to absorb, right? You certainly sit down, quiet your mind, and like, talk to me. (laughs) And you get all this information download. And then there are times where you are looking for the happenings of the day. And that could easily be, and I'm being facetious here while you're cleaning up uh, the kitchen, uh, vacuuming, and it's somewhat background noise, but you're listening and keeping up to date with all the doom and gloom of the world, I guess, in some ways. Right. And I, you know, I know we have to keep up to date with what's going on. Totally get that. (laughs) But set a timer. Most of us honestly do not need more than 10 minutes a day. Right. And we spend far more than that. (laughs) So, so, you know, figure out what is healthy for you, what you need for your work, what you need for your lifestyle, and then stop. Like, just just put a timer on it, stop, and because it's 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 not doing anybody any good. Precisely. So, you know, yeah, find find the amount that you think you need, and then see if you can do a couple minutes less than that. That so would true. be my uh, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I think we all should do is take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that really have studied this really well, they actually take what they call a Sabbath from technology. And they take <laughs> sometimes, you know, 12 hours or 24 hours away from their electronics. Um, Catherine Price does that. She wrote a great book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. Yeah. Um, and she and her family do that. Um, you know, you may not be able to do that, but at least be be aware that that is an option. So mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. done that in the past, and I feel better. I feel like I've really been on vacation. <laughs> so <laughs> it's worth a try. It's very true. I think we uh, subconsciously just tucked in to the situation, and I think that's what happens. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have the father of cell phone, the actually the inventor of the cell phone, uh, on my radio show last year, uh, his uh, Martin Cooper, who is 93 years young, and one of the things that we talked about was the fact that I told him, I said, you know, I've got a bone to pick with you. Prior to cell phone coming out, I remember all the numbers, right? And when the cell phone came out, oh, I forgot right. all the numbers. <laughs> he started laughing. I said. Nowadays, we talk about, you know, oh, yeah, I know people. If you lose your cell phone, you'll be in jail, and no one's going to yeah. come and get you. <laughs> I know people. So go ahead. Who are you going to call? <laughs> you know, I, I hate to admit this, but I don't even have my kids' phone numbers memorized anymore. <laughs> right. See? 
Can you imagine that? And you get stuck in the middle of nowhere. It's like, hey, I know people. I have 10 kids. I have 15 brothers and sisters. Really? (laughs) I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. (laughs) Because you just hit your, yeah. Yeah, it it has completely (laughs) rewired our brain. But I bet you know the phone number, you know, your first phone number, I bet you remember for sure. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. But it was just amazing. I was like, it, it, was, it was amazing. And he said, well, just imagine how much storage space I cleared up in your brain for something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Uh, we live in a closed system. We can't create order without creating this order somewhere else. So uh, very, very true about that. <laughs> so true. Well, You're that's listening. good. That's good. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hophopper. My guest for this morning is Peggy Lenham. Peggy is the founder of Better Working Together, a business consulting and executive coach practice. She has a Master's of Science degree in organizational psychology and in and is certified in several popular effective assessments, and is also a certified human resource professional. Peggy provides organizations with research and training to facilitate teamwork, creativity, and leadership. She helps people improve their well-being and increase their energy to navigate difficult circumstances and uncertain situations. Peggy offers a variety of options to support any business needs, from changing company culture to providing leadership through executive coaching. Peggy is also featured as our expert contributor for the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section of our July Inspirations for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her amazing, insightful, and empowering stories. We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can use her book, Navigating Uncertainty, an A to Z Guide for Well-Being to help us achieve clarity, peace of mind, and relaunching ourselves if necessary. What is the difference between a fixed and growth mentality? Mm. Oh, I love, love that question because I think it's so foundational to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So having a growth mindset is feeling that your intelligence, your skills, your talents, your abilities, um, are all something that throughout your life you can develop and improve on. And when you have that mentality, you are just eager to learn. Um, You're not afraid of failure because you know you can pick yourself up again. You're more resilient. And you embrace criticism, which is a really important part of learning. Um, And you're always aware that you can build your abilities. When, on the other hand, if you have a fixed mindset, you avoid challenges, you're very limiting in your um, perception of what your skills are. So a lot of times you'll hear people say something like, I'm not good at math, mm-hmm. um, I don't do math, I don't do this, I don't, you know, that's not, that's not my thing. But they don't, they don't want to learn, they don't want to grow, they feel threatened by other successes. Um, and they give up really easily. So if they, you know, it's not, you know, if you don't first succeed, try, try, try again. They're just like, no, if I can't do it and it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. I just, I can't. Um, and they, they like to look smart, um, but they don't really want the work behind it. So they're very threatened by criticism. They don't like feedback. And they feel like you were either born smart or you're not smart. Mm-hmm. So what happens is a lot of times when kids are have some natural talent, like um, they have always been told they're really smart, and all of a sudden they get to a class and they realize, you know what, chemistry is hard. It's 10th grade. <laughs> I'm, you know, in high school, and I've been told my whole life I'm really smart, and all of a sudden I hit some class, um, they tend to just give up. Or they go, oh, you know, yeah, chemistry's not for me. I'm, I'm just, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They, they won't really tackle it. They don't have 
the fortitude and the um, resilience to, you know, keep plugging away at something. So developing a fixed mindset, developing a growth mindset and trying to steer our kids away from having a fixed mindset is super important um, to growing in all areas of life and at any age. Very, very interesting. How does humility and honesty fit into the equation? Mm. Oh, the older I get, the more important I think it is. <laughs> oh, well, I had a professor, and she wrote a great, great article once, and it was called A Pox on Charisma, because mm-hmm. we tend to love charismatic leaders. Um, mm-hmm. We just, we love the confidence. We just love how they can be really well-spoken and very articulate. And we just love to have all that in leadership, the real, you know, the charisma quality. Mm-hmm. But sometimes what they veil is they they cover up people or they kind of exclude people who are humble. Mm-hmm. And um, what it turns out is over the long term, humble leaders are the ones that are the best at Mm -hmm. steering their organizations to success. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that love to shine the light on others. They don't Mm -hmm. seek the limelight. Um, They create really good solid teams for the very reason we talked about is Mm -hmm. their psychological safety. They do have your back. They're not going to step on you to get to the next um, level. Um, So humility and honesty is really kind of a really unsung virtue. Um, and I think it kind of comes and goes, but I think people, from what I've seen from the data, people are realizing it's really, really an important thing to look for when hiring leaders mm-hmm. um, because it really can mean whether the organization is going to thrive or not 20 years down the road. So right. it's, a real, it's a real important value for sure. Right. And it's not flashy. So, you know, it's, it's kind of the opposite of that. The flashy right. leaders are the ones that, you you know, your eye is drawn to and you think, oh, wow, you know, right. they just have it all together. But it's, it's the, the people more in the background um, that do a better job at actually mm-hmm. steering the ship. So Precisely. humility and honesty is really important. Right, right. So true. How do routines and rituals contribute to the easing of uncertainty. Right. So we have our brain is always searching for information. It loves to predict. And um, there's a lot of things we can't predict right now. So our brains are kind of in this state of unease. Mm -hmm. And having routines and rituals provides the scaffolding for our day. So we can create um, some order and some just sort of a, a, a pattern that our brains can go to that kind of um, puts it back on a rest state. So I love having routines and rituals. Of course, you don't want to go overboard and uh, mm-hmm. create some type of pathology in that. But um, having some routines and rituals that are meaningful, that are sweet for your family um, mm-hmm. are really important. I have a couple of of uh, routines I do. I have just a really small rose garden, but I purposefully planted uh, some climbing roses and they're called gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I go and I take care of my climbing roses and I, and, I, and I trim my gratitude roses. And while I'm doing that, I think of things I'm grateful for. And it always just makes me feel better. And I, the only reason I bought those roses is because of the name. Um, it wasn't particularly because of the color, but it was mm-hmm. just a little mm-hmm. ritual, a little reminder to help me be grateful. And um, I also have a little rose bush around the corner, and it's called New Zealand. And when I go <laughs> and trim my, my New Zealand roses, I, I'm always thankful for my, my dear yeah. um, former former teacher. So that's some of the things um, that I do, but it's important, especially if you're a mom with little kids, develop positive rituals. They can just be mm-hmm. fun things. In my book, I mentioned, you know, sometimes Thursday nights can be really stressful for people with young children because that's when you're gathering the homework. Mm-hmm. So have a popcorn party on Thursday nights. 
Um, <laughs> make it fun. You know, gather up the homework. Make it a fun time, something for the kids to look forward to, and gather up your homework. Um, maybe on Tuesday nights have a tea party with mint tea, um, you know, and a new book from the library. Um, it's just a wonderful way to celebrate your children on their journey, um, to mm-hmm. celebrate yourself as a mom, um, and just just create little meaningful little tidbits. And believe me, they are gonna. Those are the things they're gonna remember mm-hmm. when they're in uh, their teens and twenties. They're gonna look back and remember that. Oh yeah, that's right. When we got our report cards, we always went out for frozen yogurt at a certain store. Um, <laughs> Or when we, you know, when we finally got an A on our spelling test after we worked hard, we celebrated by, you know, going to the park. So just Mm -hmm. do, just do fun routines and rituals to kind of anchor your day. Mm -hmm. And that also Mm -hmm. gives your brain a little vacation from all the uncertainty Mm -hmm. that's going on. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. How does curiosity help in times of uncertainty? Well, the thing about curiosity is it's foundational for coaching. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you coach yourself. So um, being curious about how you're feeling, um, what triggered that feeling, and then what is it about that that you might want to change. Um, some questions I like to ask either myself or others are, what was the best moment of your week last week and have people actually think about that because so many times we have this negative mindset and we get stuck on what didn't go well, what was terrible, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really easy to fall into, believe me, I know firsthand. Um, But being able to switch that to what went really well and then, you know, what did I do really well today? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, again, a lot of times we're like, oh, I just so, you know, I'm so an organ, whatever it is, fill in the blank. or I lost my keys again. I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> but fill in the blank with what you did well. And what yeah. you're going to find is that you start developing a more strength-based approach. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, hey, you know what? That conversation went really well. Or I was a really, I would think I was able to really encourage that person. Mm-hmm. Um, or I took a beat when I was talking to my son and rather than react, by something he said, I took a beat, I took a, I slowed down, I was able to process, and I was able to ask a question without judgment. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to get the full picture, and I was able to react in a way I was proud of and with wisdom, as opposed to, oh, you came in late, you knew the curfew, and you blew it, you know? Um, <laughs> so being curious is um, really foundational, and I, I just think that we need to be curious with ourselves. There's a lot going on, and being able to ask ourselves questions and um, is really important to growing and kind of maintaining a balance in these uncertain times. Very, very interesting. That's very true. How is time? Because you mentioned time, so. Why is time crucial in navigating uncertainty? Well, we can become very busy sometimes and not very effective. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that Mm -hmm. sometimes we feel like we're doing a lot more than we are because our brains are just on overload. So one of the tips in neuroscience is to just always make sure you have some type of a list because that way you can actually see you're making progress. It's not that you're necessarily going to make more progress having a list, but it's going to give your brain the knowledge that you are moving forward. Because sometimes we just don't track progress very well. We seem to track what we haven't gotten done as opposed to what right. we have gotten done. Right. So having some kind of a list or some kind of method for tracking progress is important. And then another thing that we can do is um, do really small projects, like 10 minutes or less. Often when we get stuck, we just are overwhelmed with 
you know, I, I, I can't do anything. This is just so overwhelming. Um, another shooting took place. I just feel, you know, whatever it is. Right, right. But right. if you do one small task, um, for me, it's I can do anything for 10 minutes. I can literally hop on the treadmill. I can clean out a junk drawer. I can mm. clean out a file. 10 minutes, I can do anything. Right, so I actually right. literally set a timer, and um, I can get a lot done in 10 minutes. So it's important to manage your time that way. And also, it kind of goes back to curiosity. Manage your energy. Like, what mm-hmm. time of day do you work best? How can you manage your schedule so you can optimize that time when you need to be really focused um, so that, you, you know, you have that available in your schedule? And on the other hand, when do you not work so great and you need to maybe do something a little less cognitively taxing? Um, we can make a lot of adjustments to our day with that. Um, for me, right after lunch is just not a great time. I just kind of like need some time that I can be creative, <laughs> but I can't be really detail-oriented. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so knowing that about myself has made me more productive during different mm-hmm. times of day. Fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, I just also encourage people to be just aware of what derails them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And manage that as well. Wonderful. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you, your services, and keep up with your latest happenings? Oh, thank you. Yes. So my book is called Navigating Uncertainty, an A to Z Guide for Well-Being. It is available on Amazon. Uh, you can get more information about it from my website at navigatinguncertaintybook.com. Um, for more information about my consulting services, you can go to betterworkingtogether.org.org. And uh, my email is there. I would just love to um, have a conversation with you. Wonderful. How has writing this book contributed to your well-being? Oh, it's been great because I now have really concrete steps that I sort of knew about, but now I have them right in front of me, black and white, and they're just, it's like having a recipe. (laughs) It's like written down. (laughs) I now know what I can do easily um, to move forward if I get stuck. So what's good about it is that you're telling me, so what you're telling me is that one of your kids can come up, mom, go to A, you know, remember anxiety? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And there's just a reminder that there's no single thing. There's no silver bullet for Mm well-being. We are just Mm -hmm. all entwined. There's multiple topics. They all affect each other. We're all connected. We lift ourselves up in one way, and we're going to lift ourselves up in other ways as well. We take better care of ourselves. We're going to be a better mom. (laughs) Wonderful. What is next for you? Oh, good question. Well, um, a couple of interesting things. I think for the next week, I've got a lot of requests for an ebook, so mm-hmm. we're going to get this put out in an ebook um, style. So that'll be that. That is what's on my agenda for this week, along with um, some consulting. And who knows? I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Like I said, and like you mentioned, life is a journey. So we just kind of take it one step at a time and. Look forward to what's around the corner. Fantastic. By the way, we're coming close to the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? A recipe for living. I would say, above all, be grateful. Find Mm -hmm. three things every day that you are grateful for. Um, Put your hand on your heart. Breathe into that. And just remind yourself of what you have that you can be grateful for. And it'll be do wonderful things for your for yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so just be grateful and live well. Wonderful. That's beautiful. Peggy, thank you for the wonderful and beautiful recipe for living for and spending this hour with me on from my mama's kitchen talk radio. To all our listeners, please join me next week. Wednesday morning, July 13 at 10 a.m. Central Time U.S. My guest will be Lisa Heisha, 
Lisa is a mother, life coach, author, transformational speaker, TV host, and an avid traveler with an MA in spiritual psychology. Lisa and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, Soul Blazing, Transform Your Imposters into Superpowers and Live a More Purposeful, Authentic Life. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Peggy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.